I completely feel like I've found what literally lights my soul on fire. Um, like this kind of thing, this adventure-based kind of running where it's it doesn't have to be about the FKT, but it's about the adventure of it all and you set the parameters of the challenge that you want to do. You know, you set the goal, you set how far it is, when you want to do it. That is what I love about it all because it's it somewhat feels so much more personal to me, knowing that it's something that I've kind of dreamt up. I firmly believe that anyone can do this. Now, it doesn't have to be 135K, but anybody can dream up an adventure that they want to do and go for it. Welcome to the RMA podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Nicole Bunyan, founder of Running Mums Australia. Each episode, I will be speaking to everyday women who have an inspiring story to tell. We will cover the highs and lows of their own journey, the impact motherhood has had on their life, and how running has inspired them to live wilder, dream bigger, and change the world around them. Thank you for joining us on this new adventure that will hopefully leave an imprint for you to live out your own life inspired to conquer goals you never thought possible. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the RMA podcast for another week. I hope you enjoyed listening to the last episode of our podcast where I talked to Kira Lidia about the foundation of Run Against Violence. I had a lot of great feedback about those episodes and about Geraldine's bravery in sharing her story. So thank you to everybody who listened and shared, and I hope that it really does make a difference. So thank you so much for all the feedback that I've received so far. On this episode of the RMA podcast, I talked to mum of two and amateur trail runner Michelle Hooper. Michelle is an RMA who lives in WA and she recently set herself a goal of running into the record books by establishing a new women's self-supported fastest known time for the Cape to Cape Trail in WA. Michelle needed to run under 26 hours for this journey to be able to get the fastest known time and she did just that and she raised more than $3,500 for the Perth Children's Foundation in the process. The Cape to Cape track runs 135 kilometres from Cape Lewin to Cape Naturalist in southwest WA. I talked to Michelle about her journey and in this episode, Michelle shows us how to really embrace the adventures that life throws at us and that although we can't control what's going on around us in our world, we can control our mindset and create our own adventures. We dive right into how Michelle journeyed through the training with two young girls as a single parent and how she navigated the risks along the way and planned for this great adventure. We talked to Michelle about what she learned about herself on this journey as well and how it's changed her attitude towards running and trail running in general. You're really going to love this conversation. It was refreshing. Michelle's a beautiful person 
and I met her on Instagram, which is a place that you wouldn't typically think you would meet runners, but it's opened a whole new world of possibilities for me. And as you'll hear in this conversation, a whole new world of possibilities for Michelle too. For now, I'm going to introduce you to Michelle Hooper. Hi, Michelle. Welcome to the RMA podcast. Hello. <laughs> How are you going? Well, thank you. I saw that you've done some pretty cool runs lately, last night in particular. Um, learning how to run the hills. Uh, How did you you, um, find that experience? I read your post on Instagram. We'll do a little intro in a minute, but tell everybody what you learned via that post that you, or via that podcast that you listened to and how that transpired into your run last night. Uh, What did I learn? Well, my uh, philosophy on hills has always been to basically walk them. (laughs) My too. yeah, so last time I actually, last night I just thought I'll give it a go. I'm going to run them all just based off a few little changes that I had read about. And I got up all the hills, so, <laughs> which is amazing for me. Um, but yeah, just an epic run last night. It was just beautiful sunset. Like the sky was alight. It was just on fire and the trail was beautiful. So it was just everything, everything I run for. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's nice when those runs just feel so good and they come together. And those sunsets like, are amazing. Oh, yeah. And that, that period just after sunset where it's like night sky but like on fire. It's mm. just, yeah, amazing. It is. It's the best time to get out on the trails, I think. Yeah. And I don't need a headlamp at that point. It's still just light enough to be able to run. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, um. You know, I saw your photo on Instagram uh, and I thought that's where we might kick off this podcast because that's where I discovered you. (laughs) (laughs) So um, as, you know, everybody who is listening knows, um, I'm doing all the social media on RMA. Um, Anna and I do the social media and I was scrolling through all our hashtag Running Mums Australia on Instagram and then all these posts keep popping up every day. Michelle.runs. <laughs> um, and I'm like, who is this person? And who, who is this amazing photo taker of running? <laughs> your photos are incredible. And I will definitely be putting um, your Insta handle in the show notes for people to have a look at <laughs> and follow along. But, um, you know, what I really love about the, the images that you show on Instagram is um, they're just so incredibly beautiful. And I know that, you know, most, a lot of them are rumpies and a lot of them might be set up or whatever, but that's okay. I do it too. <laughs> but it's the joy that you have with your running and, um, and what you love most about getting out on the trails and into beautiful places and with other friends and, and that's yeah. what I'm all about. So um, and as I was following along your journey um, over the last, say, 12 months, uh, I've noticed a bit of a shift and a bit of a change. And then, you know, we'll get into your big adventure, which you've done through um, Cape to Cape. And, and yep. now you hold the fastest known time running the Cape to Cape um, in WA. And yeah, I was really inspired by that journey. And I really wanted to talk to you about that experience. So, you know, RMA is made up of 
a huge amount of a vast array of different women from all walks of life, all ages and all places. And, um, and I just want to showcase that, um, those different women and, and you're one of them. So yeah, you've inspired me <laughs> and, and I'm looking forward to talking more about your journey. So thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Um, so I wanted to quickly start, and I always start with a little bit of like um, banter about, you know, your background and how you got into running um, and, you know, your childhood, if you were active as a child. So maybe you want to go into a little bit of that and, and how running came about for you. Um, okay. So a little bit about me. I am 32 turning 33 this month or next month in August. I have two little girls well to me they're little anyway they're three and five and they keep me on my toes um literally like just my soul in these little beings it's crazy how much uh they are similar to me scary as well <laughs> they even look like um, yeah i know um and i started running only 18 months ago which a lot of people are kind of uh, not shocked by, but I think they assume that I've been running a lot longer. But um, basically how that came about was, um, you know, I had a three and a one-year-old and I was wanting to get active again, like I think, you know, many new mums um, feel, but you are kind of also bound to two very tiny children. So I was like, well, how can I get up active without you know, paying lots of money or gym memberships and how can it work for me? And kind of at the time I was like, well, I can just get outside with a pram. That's the easiest thing. I'm not bound to an appointment, a time. I can just go when I can and I can stay close to home. And that's kind of how the running started. Um, and basically I went to my first park run 18 months ago and that was it <laughs> I was hooked, totally hooked from then I guess that's just my competitive nature um and in terms of how I first laced up in running that's how I started running but in high school I have a huge background in um little athletics and track and field and um represented my country as a junior in track and field not in running funnily enough but in um the throws events so i guess just that competitive side kind of refired when i started running and went to park run and was kind of like competing against my times and that's just kind of all kind of how it came about this time mm, that's interesting that you had that background in track and field and yeah and I guess athletics, you know, as a whole, you know, um, you know, you, you have that competition side and yeah, it's really interesting how that park run experience and just that experience of getting yeah. out, probably running with your girls and the pram and, you know, thinking, Oh, hang on, maybe I can actually beat my times like this each week. And, and yeah, it just brings back that sort of childhood competition, um, yeah. what you've learned in the past so so what throw event did you do when you were younger um so my main events were javelin which i ended up having to stop at, at about the age of 16 due to some knee issues mm -hmm. but uh, what i represented um australia as a junior was hammer throw which wow. most people don't pick but 
I mean, I don't pick you as a hammer thrower, but like, that's amazing. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's a funny thing. Like I don't talk about it much anymore. If my dad's around, he'll always chuck it into the conversation. (laughs) But, um, it's funny because all my running friends from back then who, you know, represented Australia as runners, they all absolutely laugh at the fact now that I'm, I'm running as an adult because yeah. I was never a natural runner. Let's put it that way. <laughs> How did you even get into hammer throw? How does one get into hammer throw? That's what I would like to know. Um, I basically liken myself to somebody who came last in everything. And um, I ended up picking the weirdest events <laughs> and kind of doing well, which was like race walking and hammer <laughs> That's going to help you for ultras. Right? Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I mean, Hammer's, Hammer's a really interesting event. It's just, you know, if people think you need to be big, but you just have to be fast. It's, yeah. yeah. It's a really cool event. And powerful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow, that's so interesting. I was not expecting you to say that. <laughs> love that. I love that. So so when you started running and you went to park run, um then did you form connections with other people that were runners as well? Is that how you actually got into, you know, more like competition races? Like did you, did you do races or were you just only park run or trails? Like what did the journey look like after you joined park run? And which so, park run did you join actually first? So my first park run was Whitford's Nodes, but m- from that time, I realized that there was actually one closer to my home. So Wanneroo was my kind of local from that point. Um, and you know what? The, I think from the very, my very first park run, I think it's one of my first posts on my page. That's when I kind of use Instagram as a way to kind of get into the running scene and it's quite funny. It sounds really odd to say, but I think I followed like the hashtag Perth Insta runners or something like that. And then that's where you, where I started to find other people in my area who were running or who were trail running and seeing what they did. Like I had no idea there were even trail races around. Mm. Um, and from that, I started meet, meeting people through my local park run and then went to my first trail event, which was um, Perth Trail Series, uh, Wally Grunter, which is like a dress up as Where's Wally, kind of really fun trail event. And yeah, I think from that, I just got hooked on trails just because of everything. Like everyone's so friendly. It's just such a good vibe. Um, I just like, I liked running off the roads and, you know, each to their own. I have absolutely nothing against road running, but just for me, like just being out in nature and seeing places that I wouldn't otherwise go to most probably uh, was really, really cool and loved it. And then that was probably the point where I kind of was like, trail running is for me. (laughs) Yeah. So do you do any road running now or is it mainly all trails now? Um, If I'm like, so the last, three months or so I've been really heavily training specifically for the Cape. So my training was as much trail specific stuff that I could do. And for me, that was as much sand as I could do. Um, so maybe one session on a, on the 
paths of, you know, the South Perth foreshore. And that was mainly to catch up with my friend Dan and have coffee. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. really it. <laughs> it. wasn't so much about the running. No, not at all. I love that. I love that. Um, so I wanted to say, um, ask you about, I wanted to ask you about what kind of support you had around you in your running um, at the start compared to now. And yep. what did what does that community mean to you? Like in terms of you being able to achieve the things that you've achieved in this last short 18 months. Um, mm -hmm. What is the support of having those people that you've met through Parkrun and through Instagram and, and how amazing is social media that yep. it can bring, I mean, there's a lot of negative things about social media, but there's a huge amount of positive things that it can bring people together. I mean, look, we're having this conversation now and that was through yeah, exactly. You know, that it can bring people together that have this common bond and this passion for something like running, um, like trails. Um, and we can do lots of amazing things with it and share those experiences with each other. What does that community, what has it meant to you on this journey? It has been huge, like so huge. And like, I'm a big believer. Like I know a lot of people poo-poo on social media, but I also honestly believe that social media is what you make of it. Like you fill your feeds with what inspires you or you fill your feeds with trash. Like it's up to you. Yeah. Um, same as you connect with people that inspire you or, you know, that you want to follow along with. And honestly, I can't even believe the amount of people that I've met kind of over the last 18 months or so um, in terms of, you know, the people that are around me, I'm super picky now. Like I, I'm honestly super picky with the kind of vibe that I have around. And like, I love having positive, inspiring, uplifting people around. And pretty much, I think that that just encompasses trail runners in general, yeah. um, because we all kind of want the same thing to be in nature, chill out, enjoy ourselves, be in the moment. Um, and like even leading up into the Cape, I would send out just a, a bunch of messages to people and be like, hey, I need to train at night time at like nine o'clock at night. This, this was an actual run I sent out a message for. I need to train at nine o'clock at night to get used to running in the dark and fatigued. Anyone interested in coming? Thinking that I would get like no responses. And I think I had like five of my closest friends were like, yeah, yeah, we'll come along. And it's just... Yeah, it's just blown my mind how supportive everyone is. Mm -hmm. And I think trail running is great like that because for me, what I've noticed, it doesn't matter if you're elite, not elite, you come first, last, middle of the pack, whatever. There's not that ego there. Everybody is happy to help everybody. Everybody's happy to cheer on and high five everybody. And that's, I think that's what I love about trail running as well. But community here is awesome. Like the Perth trail running community is just amazing. So lucky. Yeah. I've heard lots of really good things about the Perth trail running community. Yeah. I interviewed someone last night for the podcast who's over in Perth as well. And yeah. she was saying the same thing, especially about the ultra running community over there. Like, and, and we're the same in Sydney. Like, I think it's just something about trail runners, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're just a good bunch. So yeah yep. so what was it let's go back to that first trail run that first <laughs> trail race you did at the perth trail yep. series can you talk a little bit about that experience and what you felt like um 
during that race and how it left you afterwards? Yeah. I was pretty terrified going in. I think, you know, anyone trying something this, I mean, this is my first 15 K run. So I had no idea what to expect like on the trails, but getting there, just the vibe, everyone's just so happy. It's just crazy. Like everyone is just so darn happy, you know, running along, high-fiving. I figured out at that point that I didn't like hills. (laughs) It was just like one massive uphill. But then at the same time, I was like, hey, all these people are walking hills. This is great. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I think, you know, leaving that and I had met a whole bunch of people who I had kind of said hey to on social media and like meeting them in person finally was awesome Mm. but I had just left that just on a massive buzz like runners high and I was like this is awesome and even my husband at the father of my children at the time he came along and it was his first one as well and he left feeling the exact same way and he's a non-runner like he he doesn't run but he still he got it at the end of it he was like oh i get why you do this like that was awesome yeah that's yeah. so good so if you hadn't had a really bad experience i imagine that you wouldn't have like laced up again so you left that race feeling really good and and realizing how amazing the trail run community was Mm -hmm. and what did you sign up for next (laughs) so my (laughs) should the question be what didn't you sign up for (laughs) like most trail runners yeah there's this meme i don't know if you've seen it on instagram where it's like does first park run then signs up for ultra marathon wow that escalated quickly that was exactly me yeah (laughs) i did my first park run and then I fell into a YouTube hole of, you know, ultra marathon YouTube videos <laughs> and then thought, you know what, I'm going to sign up for the Margaret River Ultra, having only done one 5K park run. Oh, gosh. So the ultra as in the 78K or whatever it is? Yeah, the 80K. Right, yeah. yes. Just so I was like, up. I've got five months to do this. I can do it. Yeah. So, that, so I had signed up for that and I think, the whole reason I had started with the Perth Trail Series was uh, to to start running on trails in training for that, which looking back now was not the best idea because you should never kind of use races to train for another race because you tend to just push yourself too hard and into yourself. Mm-hmm. But that's all in the power of hindsight. But yeah, so I was already signed up <laughs> for something. From the, the first week. Yeah, from the first half run. <laughs> I told you that was it. Like I did it and that was it. That's well, cool. All testament to parkrun for getting you in. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Sure. So is your parkrun a trail parkrun or? Oh, no. No, right. No, it's actually really boring. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, it didn't matter. It just, it yeah. gave you that, you know, that time and place to be able to compete against yourself. And, mm. and that was enough for me to get that fire going again that I had kind of lost uh, you know, through having my kids and not really doing anything for myself. So, you know, just having that Saturday morning to kind of test myself uh, was enough to kind of reignite it, I think. And did you find that that was a big reason for you running is because you felt like, and I know I hear this with a lot of women, um, that 
when they have kids and I know myself, this was why I started running. I felt like I had lost a little bit of myself. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. everything was given to my children and my family and I felt like there was nothing left for me. And it was the only time that I had to just be by myself in nature doing what I loved. And I just felt completely free. Not that I don't love my children, of course, and everything I do for them, but it was just something for me um, that wasn't for anybody else. Is Mm. that why you loved it too? Uh, Wholeheartedly. Mm. (laughs) I think, um, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that story resonates with a lot of new mums, like that feeling of uh, losing your identity somewhat or um, losing that sense of purpose. And whilst you have a purpose as a mum, but that sense of purpose for yourself, like what do you want to do as a person? Um, And so that was my time to be able to, I guess, test myself or push myself. But even in saying that, like, I actually really wanted to start park run earlier, but I was still breastfeeding Willow. And I was like, you know, I, I don't want to do anything to kind of um, jeopardize, you know, my feeding with her. So I even like, as soon as I had finished, which was in, I think the end of October, mm-hmm. my first park run was like the week after that. Cause I was like, okay, yep. This is my time now. I can do things like, again, I can, and I had that little bit more separation from her. Yeah. Um, like I was able to get away for more than a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. Um, when I say get away from her, that sounds really bad. But in terms of breastfeeding yeah. and stuff. Yeah. I know what you mean. <laughs> that time for yourself as well. And every mum yeah. needs that as well. We don't have to be attached 24-7. No. We need that time, you know, to be good yeah. mums. Yeah, oh, 100%. It made me a better mum. 100% every time you come home and you just feel I guess so much more I don't know free or energized I would say because you've done something you know for yourself mm-hmm. and I mean you can't beat a runner's high really so no you can't it's <laughs> the best one I reckon yeah so how was the experience um at Margaret River um It was a big learning curve, I would say, uh, looking back now. So I had five months and I probably uh, tried to build too quickly into it, um, given that I didn't have a base of training behind me. Mm. Uh, You know, all of this stuff, I can look back and say that now. At the time, I was just kind of going with it. Um, I actually got injured six weeks out from MIU. So had the longest taper ever going yeah. into the race. Six weeks. Yeah, oh, wow. pretty much. And going into the race was just, uh, I, it was just injury um, uh, management because I, I couldn't put weight on my foot. I think like a week and a half before I ran, I couldn't put weight on my foot. So it was just trying to get through the day enough and all I wanted to do was finish I wasn't racing for a place or anything but this was just in my head my a race for the year um and I just wanted to finish and funnily enough on the day I had no foot pain no hip pain and completely smashed my goal on the day um and finished I think in 12 hours and 17 minutes or something like that um but yeah it was just 
again, the atmosphere of it all and that race then got me hooked onto the whole idea of uh, the longer races where it's more about um, the bigger picture as opposed to just being fast. Like it's about managing nutrition and strategy and, you know, how you're going to pace yourself over the day as opposed to just flogging it for, you know, 10K or something like that. Mm. And that leads me to my next question. So when did you first start thinking about running the Cape to Cape? <laughs> and why did you choose to do it in a cape? <laughs> and yeah. um, why also, um, so we'll go into this cape to cape experience now. And why also did you not choose to do it with a group of friends? Why did you choose to do it self-supported um, by yourself? Yeah. Um, that actually mean to be self-supported as well. Yeah. Um, so how the cape to cape all came about was earlier this year, um, I had decided that I wanted to give MIU a go again, mm-hmm. even though after the first time I promised myself I would never do it again. Um, but I felt like I hadn't given it a good crack the first time because I was injured. So I was like, I want to redeem myself somewhat and like go in with a good preparation. And I guess the hindsight of, you know, all the things that I've learned. Um, and then that was obviously cancelled due to COVID. Mm. Um, and so I was like, well, you know, I'm training for the Cape to Cape. Why don't I just attempt the full Cape to Cape? And I, that, that seed kind of planted. It by no means was me going, oh, yes, I can totally do it. It was like, could I do it? Maybe. I mean, that's 135 Ks. That's way longer than anything that I've done, but the seed was planted there. And um, then I started looking into it, looking into the FKT, started kind of chatting about it to my partner and kind of just gauging whether or not it's something I could do. And then I was like, you know what, like whether or not I get the FKT, that doesn't really matter but this is something that I can do for myself and it's an adventure that I can plan for myself and no one can take that away from me. Cause at the time everybody's training for a race and then all of a sudden the races aren't there. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, I can do this. No one can take it away. They ended up being able to take it away by closing internal borders <laughs> in WA. So I couldn't actually get down there. Mm-hmm. But the moment that the borders opened internally here, Uh, I got down there straight away and the reason that I did it in a cape. um, So I work in the Perth children's hospital uh, and, you know, COVID was a really scary time, I guess, for us within the healthcare system, Um, you know, being frontline workers, I'm not a nurse or doctor and, you know, full kudos to those guys because they are just amazing. But um you know, it was a scary time for us, you know, not knowing what was ahead and still having to come to work. And in our hospital, we had this kind of campaign for health heroes, which is just, you know, saying thanks to those people who are frontline workers. And I was like, well, you know, why not run the Cape to Cape in a Cape? And it also sounds really cool. It does. (laughs) It's like, let's run with that. Let's run the Cape to Cape in a Cape. And then 
through that, I was like, well, why don't I fundraise for, you know, the Perth Children's Hospital Foundation? And, you know, then it kind of makes the adventure. It's not just about me then. It's, you know, there's a, there's a bigger story behind it. And, you know, it's something outside of myself. Mm. You know, I could go do something and, you know, go for the FKT or whatever, but it's good to be able to feel like I'm doing something for some somebody else as well. And yeah. why not? Like, Definitely. Yeah. Mm. Wow. So was the Cape to Cape originally like going to be a particular race or is this just a track? Maybe you can explain to people what yeah, is sure. Cape to Cape for those that don't know. Yeah. So just a bit of background. Margaret River Ultra runs on the Cape in portions. Mm-hmm. So the Margaret River Ultra is 80Ks, but 80Ks of it isn't on the track. It's just in parts and some of the most beautiful parts, mind you. Um, the Cape to Cape track runs from Cape Lewin, so the lighthouse at Cape Lewin, up to Cape Naturalist, the lighthouse up there, hence Cape to Cape. Um, it's 130 kilometres long. Um, and, yeah, it's just the most beautiful slash unbelievably difficult you know, track and terrain to run on. Um, it is a mixture of sand. So it's like, when I say sand, I mean beach sand. There's probably about 30 kilometres of beach sand. And then you've got sandy track. So it's like, you know, soft kind of sand, but a bit more compact running along like cliffs next to the beach. Then you've got rocky sandy track, which it, it there's like these gnarly limestone white rocks, which are just horrible to run across. But yep. So there's that. Then there's rock, like you're running on rock shelves or rock hopping and in places kind of scrambling over rocks. And then you have four wheel drive tracks as well. So it's just like when you think of 130K, I would say like add an extra you know, half onto that in terms of how difficult the terrain is. Mm. Um, but in saying that, it is just spectacular. Like, it is beautiful to be out there. And if you can kind of surrender to the fact that you have to run in the sand, then you're, you're happy and free. Like, it is just a beautiful track. Yeah, well, I um, really hate sand running. <laughs> um, and like we have sand hills here down near me at Cronulla Beach, and yeah. we'll often take ourselves off to the sand hills and do sand hill sessions. But I just cannot master sand running. I feel like I'm running backwards. Like, is, yeah. there, a, is there a particular way of running through sand that makes you propel forwards <laughs> that you could share? Yeah. Well, don't run up sand hills. Oh, no, but even on the flat, I'm running. I'm just like not moving. <laughs> um, I, you know, I had a good think about this and because like people have asked me this a lot but I would liken this question to you know when you're talking to someone who is just starting out running and they're like you know how is running enjoyable like you know I'm just finding it so hard you know you know it just looks so easy for you and generally what we would say to like a new runner is like yeah, it's hard initially, but then you get to this point after a certain period of time where it just becomes easy. Mm -hmm. Like your body is just conditioned enough 
and that's kind of the new normal. And that's exactly what it is with sand running. You know, in the lead up, it was quite funny. I like I did my long runs with like 15 Ks on beach sand. And that's what I say to people now. Like, it's just, you just get to this point where your body is conditioned enough and then it just becomes the norm or easier. Like I'm not sprinting along the sand, but funnily enough, my body adapted. And every time I came back onto the sand, it was like, oh, it's soft underfoot. And like, it was just a nice feeling. Mm. So, and that's what I would say. Like, if you're trying to train for sand, like train for sand, like you, yeah. you got to do it as if you're learning to run again. Cause it, it, it's basically that you're learning to run on a completely different surface. And that's kind of what I'm trying to do with hills now. It's like, well, I don't like hills, but I'm going to learn to love them. <laughs> <laughs> as much as you love the sand. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> oh, dear. So, so what kind of kilometres were you running each week in preparation for the Cape to Cape? What kind of stuff were you doing? Yeah. Um, I actually had a really good block going in. Um, and what I tried not to do is look at the kilometres, but... It, just so you guys kind of have an idea it was like about 90 k's was my peak week Mm -hmm. but in saying that what I was aiming for was time on feet and time on feet on the terrain as well as back-to-back days um so you know my 15k run it doesn't sound like much like when you're talking like road running or a build-up for a marathon or whatever but my 15k run was on sand or sandy trail. So, you know, that was like a two and a half hour time on feet. Um, And basically leading up to the day, like I'm so blessed to have had, you know, my friends supporting me through all this. I managed to get down to the Cape uh, for four weekends, four different weekends in the previous like three months to do recce runs and by the time that I actually went to run it there was only 10 k's of that 130 that I hadn't run before Mm. so I was familiar with the track and obviously also trained to the terrain by running on it Mm. and then trying to train fatigued because I knew I would be running through the night I knew I'd be running more in the dark than I would be in the day so I was trying to train you know, starting at like 10 o'clock. I think one of our recce runs was from Gracetown, which is on the track. And we started at 9.45 at night and we finished at 2 a.m. in the morning Mm. just to try and imitate how I would feel in the dark. I was fully packed. And you know what? I think all those runs like so helped out. Like it's my biggest piece of advice for anyone tackling any kind of race is train to the terrain, imitate, imitate, imitate race day as best as you can. Mm, Absolutely. I remember doing um, UTA 100 and that's what I did. I trained on the course as much as I could. And by the time I got to race day, I think there was like a 5K section I hadn't done. And like on the day, you know, I was used to running at night, just some night trails. Yeah. On the day, I just felt like, Oh, yep. Oh, here I am. Like I knew where I was. I knew when to fuel. I knew what was coming. So yep. I knew when to take my food in and I knew when to hold back. I knew when to push and it made the difference to my race. Oh, Absolutely. for sure. More than anything I, that I could have done. That was the best preparation. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like I know people um, and a lot of new runners as well, I'm completely guilty of it. Just look at the Ks and like feel like you have to build to a certain, you know, pattern or whatever. Like my biggest thing in this lead up to was just listening to my body like there were days where I knew, yep, I should have been doing, you know, a 30K run, but my body wasn't up to it. Like you just, you got to listen to your body and just train to the terrain. Mm. That, that's it really. If you can do those two things and train consistently enough, you're, you're going to be fine. Like you're going to be home free. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to talk about that experience. Um, actually, before I do talk about when you first got there um, and were ready to run the Cape to Cape, I, w- I wanted to go back. Like you work, you told me the other day you work as a facilities manager in the hospital. So well, I, little- I will correct you on that. I work in facilities management because I would hate to take that away from my boss. Sorry. So you work <laughs> as a, in facilities management. Yes, yes. And you... I guess in that role, you're doing a lot of planning and organizing and things like that. So did those skills come in handy when you were preparing for this adventure? Was there a lot of planning, spreadsheets, organizing, nutrition, all those things going on on your behalf or someone else was doing (laughs) all that for you? I laugh because like anyone that knows me would just be laughing their head off right now. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I'm a planner at heart. And I think that's why I've fallen into the job that I have. Uh, You know, I'm very good at logistics, planning, future planning, um, kind of mitigating risks and stuff like that. So, and I think this is why I ended up loving this, this type of adventure so much is this planning phase. And yeah, so I had a very comprehensive spreadsheet. Um, you know, it wasn't all me. I had an amazing group of people around me to kind of get knowledge off. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my partner gave me the breakdown of the whole Cape to Cape because even though he hadn't run it, he had basically every distance from every checkpoint. Um, you know, I spoke to people who had the current FKTs and was like, you know, what do I need to consider? And, you know, knowledge is power of like and the funny thing about social media is you can reach out to most people and they will be happy to help you um there was a local in the area who i hadn't met but was following my kind of journey into it and he was like hey i'm a local you know when you're down here for a recce run if you want to catch up and we can you know chat about some things that maybe you hadn't thought of and he was a wealth of knowledge like in terms of things that only locals would see like, you know, the inlets, whether or not they were, the river was running, if I could cross it, you know, Mm. and, and that would, you know, he was there on the day cheering on it. (laughs) It was, yeah, it was amazing. So yeah, the planning phase, certainly my, my background, I think helped. And I think it also helps that I enjoy doing that as well. Whereas if you don't enjoy the planning, then that's maybe where a race or something that is already pre-planned for you might be better for like be better for you to enjoy yeah i mean because you when you just line up you just go pay your money yeah line up at the start line and you expect that all those things and all the risks have been you know looked at and you just go and run like you don't think about all the things that have to be considered 
Absolutely. Um, when you're planning your own adventure and one like you did along really rugged coastline, I'm sure dangerous situations could arise that you had to mitigate those risks and, and there was yeah. every single step of the way you had to plan for those things. So well yeah. done to you and your team yeah. for getting you to the start line. I mean, you got to the start line and yeah, just yeah. what was it like standing on that start line? How were you feeling? What was going through your head in that moment? Were you, did you have any doubts in that moment? Oh, I was terrified. <laughs> Truthfully, like the week before, like, I don't know how I portrayed it over social media. I tried to be as authentic as I could. And that was that I was, I was scared, like leading into it, whether or not I could do it. Um, you know, I think it's an important thing to note because, you know, I'm scared and I did it anyway. And, you know, people will always be fearful of the unknown. And I think that's why we kind of sit in, in the comfort of where we are now. Um, so yeah, I was really scared, but I think that's where it's really important to have a good group of people around you. Um, you know, everybody that was kind of around me had some sort of knowledge or something to say to me to give me that little bit of comfort and um yeah I certainly when I was at the start line it's quite funny we were like I did all the planning this is a really important thing to note I think you can do as much planning as you want generally speaking the plan never goes to plan anyway no. like, you can prepare and mitigate the risks as much as you want I was supposed to start at seven o'clock on a Saturday, but then we had to move it to the Friday because the Saturday had huge thunderstorms coming through. We moved it to the Friday and then at seven o'clock on the Friday, a huge thunderstorm came past or well, a big rain front came past. I won't say there was lightning because there wasn't, but enough for me to go. Yeah. I don't want to be starting 26 hours on my feet and then get completely drenched in the first, 10 minutes <laughs> yeah but yeah so we we were sitting at the start line in the car watching this massive like rain front come across and just I'm just sitting there going oh my god oh my god oh my god this is not ideal back out now back out now. <laughs> that's honestly what I was thinking but like luckily enough I had um you know, I was on the phone to Chris and he was like, you know, this is, this is what you're here for. Like you chose to do this. You're here for the adventure. Same as my mate, Rob, um, gave me the biggest rev up in the car and was like, you know, this is the stuff you live for shell. Like mm. this is the stuff and it's epic. What you're about to do is like, just, just go in with it. Like just go with it. And I did. That's and if you didn't have them there, probably would have stayed in the car like you know to have those people there behind you in your corner and this is a common yeah. theme that I talk about on this podcast to have the support of people around you yeah. that believe in you yeah. and believe in what you're about to do makes all the difference to you moving yeah. forward um so in that moment when you're standing on that start line and you've got your family around you that you're about to run off into <laughs> in the unknown yeah. For 130 kilometers, you know, you had to really draw deep on the belief in yourself, really. So yeah. You know, I mean, the two people that were in the car with me were my two girlfriends, Kat and Danae. And um, they basically had lived this adventure 
with me from its conception, specifically Cat. Mm. Like Cat was my training partner and did every single training run with me. And I basically said to her, you should do this because <laughs> you prepped exactly the same as me. But, you know, having them there at the start line, yeah, was awesome. Like just even just that voice of reason, like, no, nah, we'll be all right. You'll be fine. You've got this. You've done the training. Even though my mind was like ticking over 100 k's an hour, just fretting about everything. But, yeah, we got there in the end. <laughs> yeah. So I was reading on the blog that you wrote um, for Hocker and – you were saying that the best time to tackle this pursuit would be more in the warmer seasons. And yet, obviously with all the things that went on, you um, were just like right in the heart of winter that you decided to put this adventure onto your radar. So um, that would have brought a little bit more challenge into this journey. So it was like 10 Ks or 10, what was it? 10 Ks in two hours in to your journey when you were running along the beach and we're in the middle of winter. I can imagine it's quite chilly in WA, middle of winter, Mm -hmm. running along the coast, a storm rolls in. Yeah. Um, And it's probably starting to rain. It's really windy. It's freezing cold and you're on your own on this rugged coastline running along. What was going through your head at that moment, you'd only just started running. You were like two hours into this epic adventure. Yep. Um, I was terrified, to be honest. So we had waited for that first storm front to go and I could see on the radar that there was another one kind of building off the coast. And I was just like, okay, well, I just have to get through as much of this as I can. And what I was hoping was that there was a 10k beach section in that first three hours and I was hoping that I would be far enough long to be off the beach so at least I wasn't exposed because the storm was coming from the ocean and so I'm running along this 10k beach section like plodding along and I'm just looking out and I can just see to my left it's just getting like blacker and blacker Mm -hmm. and blacker and so it was quite funny like I was terrified And then I had no phone signal either at this point. I couldn't even um, text anyone to be like, hey, just keep an eye on the radar. This is where I am if anything happens. I had no phone signal. And I'm just watching it. And then it just kind of went into this mode of, okay, what do I have to do? Like, it's going to hit. I can't change this. I can see it. I was like, what do I have to do? I was like, okay, get your rain jacket ready. I was like, as soon as I can see the rain curtain, like as soon as I can actually see it coming, get the rain jacket on. Um, I was like, get, get the food out that I need. Um, and then basically what happened was that storm front, like it was black, luckily no lightning. It was just rain and wind, but it had hit when I was on the beach and I was like, okay, yep. Just push through it. It's just water shell. It's just water and wind. You've got this <laughs> so like head down, kind of trudging through the sand but the wind when the front came across was so bad that it was whipping the sand up into my face. So I actually just had my buff covering the left side of my face and I'm just like head down, just trying to walk and it was impossible. I couldn't do it. So I was, cause I couldn't see 10 meters ahead of me at that point. It was just so heavy. 
So I actually ran up into like a big sand dune and hid in the bushes for, I think like five minutes. And I was just, I was just standing there. I remember thinking going, oh my God, Shell, like what, like no one knows where you are right now because I had no phone signal. Um, and I'm just like, okay, what am I going to do? It, it just looked like it was going to bucket down for ages. And so I was like, okay, well, you can't control this. So just stand here, use this time to stretch, refuel, have water, you know, I don't know, do, do something to make it productive. And then I kind of was just like, okay, we'll stay here five minutes till the front has kind of passed and then go back out. And so I went back out and it was bucketing down with rain, still unbelievably windy. And it was just head down for about an hour. And I was completely saturated, complete, like head to toe, shoes were full of water. Like when you're in primary school and it's like, (laughs) and I'm just like, how am I going to get through like the next 24 hours with my feet waterlogged? And, but yeah, I think ultras is really good like that because it's just problem solving Mm. the whole way through. It's problem solving. You come across situations that you couldn't plan for. And then you got to figure out pretty quickly. Okay. What am I going to do? Okay. For my safety, I have to run up there. Um, and just sit in the bush for a little bit, which would have been quite funny to anyone yeah, if you were a fly on the wall watching. So, what, what would happen? What what happened with the shoot? Like, do you take? Like, I know it's self-supported. So, what does that actually mean for those yeah. listening? And also, like, did you have spare clothes? Do you drop clothes somewhere? Like, how? Mm-hmm. Like, were you saturated for this whole time? Like, how how did that work? with the self-supported so self-supported basically means that you can obtain um i guess food water and help along the way but not from anyone who you have pre-arranged so self-supported generally is done through like through hiking so like long tracks where you through hike where you can go to the shop and go and get your food. Yeah. Um, it also means that you can, so the night before I placed four drop bags in bushes along the track so that as I ran past those, those were there. But what self-supported also meant was that, you know, my family and friends who came down to cheer, they couldn't physically help me and they could not run with me. Um, so, you know, whilst they were there and they were in the vicinity, like I couldn't, I remember like at one of the stops, it was like early in the morning, I had dropped something on the floor and we we're all just like joking. Cause like, all you want to do is like, you know, a friend is like, help out your friend who's obviously <laughs> struggling, but they couldn't even pick up like a battery that I had dropped or anything like that. Like they were there purely just to like, as a fly on the wall. kind of situation but yeah self-supported is really fun in terms of um i guess planning as well you have to be able to plan ahead what may i need in my drop bag at 100 k's into the run Mm. uh what might i need earlier and like before the day before i knew it was going to be wet um so i had a drop bag i think my first one four hours in uh which had fresh socks um 
and basically my shoes dried out really well. So they were waterlogged at the start of the day and then they were fine by the end of the day. But I did change my socks every three hours, which was pretty much like heaven. I bet. <laughs> Running on sand, having fresh socks. Yeah. Wet sandies. Yeah. Was it nice? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's really interesting with the self-supported thing. So did you ever worry that your drop bags were going to get taken? That you left yeah. in yeah, and you get there Absolutely. and there. Like- so I actually, um, like, so we'd put a bit of tape, like masking tape around it, and I wrote this big, long spiel. Mm-hmm. This drop bag is for a self-supported speed record attempt. Pretty please leave it where you found it, if you find it. And then I put the date and our number on there. And funnily enough, all the drop bags were there, but my last drop bag, um, which was 10Ks from the end, um, a some sort of animal got into it and decided to eat my Vegemite sandwich. <laughs> so, oh. yeah, it had, like this big chew hole in the side of it. And <laughs> like, oh, what did it get? And you just pull the sandwich out. Oh, all right, fair enough. That's fine. <laughs> oh, well, he was lucky. Yeah, he was lucky. How funny. So what was like some of the best parts of the run for you? Like I, I read that you love running through the forest. Um, Mm-hmm. and some of the different sections on the cliffs and things like that. Can you tell us some of the sections mm-hmm. that you love the most and why you love those yeah. along the way? Um, yeah, if you follow my Instagram page, I have one part of the Cape to Cape track, which is like my favourite every time. And it's um, it's a section just past Conto's campground and it's on Conto's cliffs near Bob's Hollow. And you're basically running up on a on top of a cliff And you just have like this beautiful view of like the ocean below. It's just the most amazing section of running. Um, And you actually run along that bit for MIU as well. And funnily enough, on that day, I got to that section at sunset. So it was like the sun was going down, you know, the clouds were like this beautiful colour. And after the storms of the morning, it was still, it was it was literally like bliss. I remember I, I think I took some footage from that point and everyone who commented on the footage that I put up was like, you've been running 60 Ks. How do you look so happy? I'm like, literally, this is like my favorite place on earth right now. Like I loved that bit. Um, Boring up forest in terms of, I guess, running was really good because you can switch off there. Whereas the rest of the Cape is quite technical and mentally you have to watch where you're going. Whereas when you're running, when you're running through the forest, you can kind of just switch off. I didn't have to look at my feet. I could just kind of look at the surroundings a bit more and, and just enjoy being able to run easy, I guess. Whereas everything else, especially when you're getting tired, like you just really got to watch your foot placement. So it's just a bit more mentally taxing. Did anything happen like on the run where you did like rolling ankle or anything like that? No, I think I was pretty lucky. Um, I think you're bound to like bump your foot on. There's like these limestone rocks everywhere. They're like real gnarly rocks. Um, And I did that a couple of times, but I think I was very cautious in my running because, you know, it's such a long day. You're like, okay, well, you don't want to roll your ankle like 10 minutes in. 
<laughs> so I think you play it just that little bit more cautiously than say if it was like a 20k run or something you probably go out it a bit harder um, plus a lot of the time like whilst this was a run speed record I was walking a lot mm-hmm. I was walk running the whole thing so did you even have like with that speed record in the back of your mind did you have a plan in terms of okay like I'm going to run, then I'm going to walk this much? Or was it more like, okay, I have to be in at this checkpoint on my map at this time to be able to to say I'm going to do it and then I've got to be at this time to be able to stay within the realms of the record? Yeah, so going into it, I had kind of three set times. Like there was the, the A goal, which was to finish. That would have been awesome for me. The the B goal was to, uh, sorry, the A goal was 24 hours, which is like on the Cape, that's like the dream number to do it sub 24 hours. That was like the dream. Um, and then the next was to get that um, self-supported FKT, which was I think three hours slower. So I had put all my expected times and worked out my pacing based off the 24 and that way it was giving myself that leeway to know that, you know, if I missed it, I still had that, that time to play with. Yeah. Um, and because I had recce run pretty much every section, like I knew, okay, that first 25 in my training run, I did that in four and a half hours, but we stuffed about taking photos and stuff like that the whole way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I knew roughly how long it would take me to get to each point. Um, obviously, after, you know, the 80K point, I had no idea what my body would be doing in terms of how fast or if I could run or if it was just walking. Um, so we just basically, it was just basically like, well, I'll just do what I can at that point. And yeah was just lucky enough um, to get in one hour before the previous record holder. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was pretty happy with that. <laughs> I bet. I bet. And we'll talk about that definitely. But, yeah, that, that's interesting because, I mean, 130Ks is a long way. So breaking it down and, and, and the terrain changes along the way. So you can't just say, oh, I'm going to run for five minutes and walk for two. That doesn't work like that in those sorts of no. Um, adventures um, and yeah breaking it down into ch- different sections I guess um, yeah. and knowing that you'd done the, the work there already and a lot of it would have been helpful along the way. Um, you were talking about that you'd started early and you had a lot of running in the dark ahead of you um, more running in the dark than in the daylight. Um, yeah. Did you ever feel nervous about running at night especially going to be by yourself out there um, how did you prepare for that? Obviously you said you did some night runs. Um, yeah. but how do you really ever prepare your, maybe not so much the physical side, but that mental side, knowing that well, your friends weren't going to be with you this time. Yep. Mm. It was, um, so I did that recce run that night time when I spoke about starting at 10 PM thinking that at the end of that, I would feel more confident about doing it on the day it actually had the opposite effect, funnily enough. I did that recce run and I was like, after that, I started to get really worried. Um, And completely justifiably worried. Like, you're out by yourself. And I was thinking, you know, I'm going to be out by myself. 
it's going to be dark. Uh, you know, what happens if somebody's around? Uh, what happens if I get hurt? The funny thing was, like, I spoke to a lot of people in the week leading up um, about this. And it was just kind of one of those things. It's like, yeah, well, you just, you have to accept it. Like, I could sit and worry about all the what ifs and all of that as much as I wanted to. But I just had to accept it and mitigate those risks as best as I could. And the way in my head that I was working through that was, okay, well, I have a spot tracker on me. So literally everybody that was watching my dot on the day can see where I am pretty much within half an hour. So if anything is to happen to me, one, I have my spot tracker with SOS. Two, I had my phone with SOS set up to my partner. Three, my family, uh, sorry, my dad and my friends were in the area. So they weren't ever too far away. And then I was like, well, you know, if something is to happen to me, I'm in like the best kind of scenario. Like there are so many eyes on me, even though I'm kind of running alone. Um, so I, you know, I think if you're going to run at night time and like, if you have to run at night time by yourself, you, you just got to mitigate the risks as best as you can and just accept, yep, it's going to feel a bit scary. Um, but funnily enough, I think I was just that much in the zone through night, through the night. <laughs> like my memories of running at night was a full moon and it, there was so much light. Well, it wasn't a full moon. It was almost full, but there was just so much light from that and I could see everything. It was blissfully quiet. I had my music on Spotify, like, way up loud and I was just running along like singing at the top of my voice the main thing that scared me was animals and the trail spiders were horrible through the night like I had I ran with a spider stick for <laughs> freaking 12 hours like swatting spider webs away from my face that was probably the worst thing to be honest the trail spiders did you see <laughs> what kind of wildlife did you see did you see any others other than spiders um so i saw lots of kangaroos they they kind of hide out in the, the coastal shrub a little bit yeah um but there were lots of eyes i don't yeah. know what they were so like i'd be running along the beach and like you'd shine your headlamp up into like the dunes a bit and you could just see like these eyes looking at you maybe cats or yeah, yeah. i'm not sure but yeah it was a bit freaky <laughs> <laughs> run faster yeah, I was like, Ugh. or I'd like run along <laughs> clapping. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, no. Oh, no. No. <laughs> oh, you're very brave. Very brave. <laughs> okay, so I just wanted to talk to you a little bit more about the feeling that you felt when you got over the hunt, say 100 Ks. Mm -hmm. So you hadn't actually even over, what was it, 80Ks because you'd never run further than that before. Mm -hmm. Did you do like a little happy dance? Did you even notice that you were over that time or did you kind of look down and go, whoa, hang on, I'm already at 100? Like what, how did that feel to you? I, um, I distinctly remember when I ticked over 100. It was like, I think, 3 o'clock in the morning and I was pretty tired. I was pretty knackered at that point. And that was actually on that 10k stretch that I hadn't recce'd and that 10k's was the longest 
of the whole thing by far. And it, and it actually played with me quite badly mentally coming into that kind of aid station because I didn't know how far I had to go. And that's the whole thing. Preparation is key. If you know where you are and you know how far you have to go, you can kind of mentally deal with it a bit better. Um, but yeah, when I ticked over the hundred, I did a little happy dance. Yeah. But it was, I think how I was breaking it up in my head was, oh yeah, I've got a marathon to go. I think I was breaking it up more in thirds. So like 40, 40 and 40. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was just anything past cause my longest run before that was 85 K. So anything past that I was just super chuffed with. And I was actually quite surprised that the, body was still moving along and able to run at 100k because I just you don't know it's just so unknown mm. yeah I was pretty tired talking, talking to one of the girls last night about that and saying um it's funny like when we get to these long ultras and things and we do these races it's almost like our body just keeps going till it knows it doesn't need to go anymore so Yep. Your race is a hundred Ks. You can just run. And then as soon as you stop, it's like the body's like goes into shock kind of thing. Almost yep. like, but if you had another 40 Ks, you'd probably find that your body would just keep going. But it's when you kind of know that it's going to be able to stop that yep. it, your body just shuts down. Well, yeah. It's quite funny because my body was doing really, really well up until 130 Ks when I was five Ks from the finish line yeah it was like it yeah as you say it meant like it knew that the finish was there and it could kind of check out yeah um and that last 5ks was just it was super difficult um to kind of will the body along because it had kind of it was sniffing the finish line <laughs> for sure yeah. it knew yeah um so were there moments when you were in a really low place at all throughout this 135Ks? And how did you deal with that if that was the case? I hate saying this because it sounds like the biggest cop out when I say it, but I didn't get to a really low place, which I was actually disappointed with because I was hoping, I was hoping for hallucinations and all of that <laughs> kind of jazz. <laughs> Like, know about that on your own. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I I certainly had some down moments, but that was more so, um, you know, coming into that where my drop bag was at three o'clock at Moses Rocks. And when I was moving, I was fine. My head was in the game. I had a purpose. And then the moment you kind of stop for a drop bag the body like this is the middle of winter mm. like the body gets cold so fast you get really stiff and then yeah the muscles kind of catch on to oh this is what's happening mm. the thing is you have to stop like I had to stop every 30 k's to refill my water um get my nutrition I have a sip of coke um you know, I had to, if, if I didn't have to, I probably just would have kept walking at least to keep the body warm. Mm. And I mean, in terms of those moments, I just knew in my head, I was like, okay, yep, this sucks right now. Like I can't even move, like trying to get all my stuff, you know, into my, my pack. But I was like, I know as soon as I start walking again, moving again, I'll be right. Yeah. And also sunrise was 
a big thing knowing that the sun was going to come up over the or you know on the track soon enough that kind of kept me going through that kind of two to five a.m period quite well and it was spectacular when it did come up where were you when the sun rose uh, I was at Torpedo Rocks and like it is just near Canal Rocks. People would probably know Canal Rocks a bit better. Um, but yeah, and it was stunning. Like it was like pink little bubbly clouds everywhere. And um, I was on the beach for that section coming up to Canal Rocks and it was just beautiful. And I was, and I knew that I was close. I was only about 15 Ks from the end at that point. So yeah. So close yet so far. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But something to keep you like, it's like almost like the dawn is like this, awakener like to like oh I'm, I'm gonna do this and a yeah. bit of excitement almost yeah. like you know that oh, I'm gonna I can see now and yeah. it's, it's like, like I got through the night I got through the night without you know falling off a cliff so. <laughs> yes bonus <laughs> so did you actually see lots of other people along the way or is this sort of a very rugged sort of isolated coastline I would say you would normally see lots of other people along the way. But the thing is, I did it on a day where I don't think many people were walking. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, the the weather during the day was horrible. It was storming. And so, you know, if you're a day hiker, you would have just been like, I'm staying home today. Yeah. <laughs> heading out. Um, and I probably saw... Uh, I would say probably less than 10 people on the track the whole time actually moving along the track. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. So let's talk about nutrition really quickly. What kind Mm -hmm. of stuff did you actually eat along the way on this adventure? Mm. So I had a plan for that too. Totally had a plan for nutrition. But again, like so unknown, Mm. you don't know what your body's going to do after it, you know, a certain length of time you can train as much as you want you know with your nutrition and your long runs but it's still it's nothing like the day so my plan was 200 calories an hour whilst I was moving and then try to top up with something when I was stopping for my drop bags whether that be my Vegemite sandwich or a coke or something like that um I I had put such a variety of foods in my drop bags just in case I was craving whatever, chocolate, lollies, chips, like everything was in my drop bags. All the ultra runners. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but you know what? What I actually stuck with. Um, so four hours in, I had a banana and that made me incredibly nauseous. Had a banana and some of a Vegemite sandwich. And from that point, I was just like, I'm not going to risk feeling nauseous like that through the whole thing like I'm just sticking to gels um my endurance powder which was in my pack I had these envive chews uh, sorry eat noshed tubes chews which were just amazing because it was just a bit different to the gels yeah um and I stuck with that for the rest of the way and probably you know, people recommend that you, you just keep shoving the food down. But for me, like I was, I was riding the feeling of hunger. So as soon as I felt hungry, 
I would have something. And normally speaking, I, I don't think people recommend that, but that's what worked for me on the day. And that's what got me through to the end without feeling nauseous. Mm. Um, so yeah, I don't recommend that. But again, as with anything, you just got to figure out what works for your body on the day. And you got to problem solve a little bit with that and getting to that point of hunger and then eating was working. So I just stuck with it. And it probably depends on the intensity. Like if you were doing a lot of hiking as well, you can tend to kind of go a little bit longer and, and eat more solid food too. Um, But yeah, I mean, whatever works for one person is going to be different for somebody else. So absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. That's right. So what was it like when you knew that you only had a few Ks to go? What was that feeling like? What was going through your mind running along that section? What was that section like? And yeah, what was going through your head when you knew you'd done it? And did you know that you you'd hit the time that you wanted? Yeah. So the last place where I got my drop bag, the one that was eaten by the lovely animal, um, was yelling up. And that was with 13 Ks to go. Um, and I basically knew, given the time, that as long as if I could walk to the finish, I would have gotten there in time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was a really good feeling to kind of be ahead of schedule. But it was just like an overwhelming feeling of mixed emotions is probably the best way I can put it. I think most people would think that I would would be like elated and happy, but it was like, I'm exhausted. (laughs) My legs hurt. (laughs) I really just want to eat a burger. Um, You know, I'm almost there. And then a little bit of sadness that the adventure's almost over like this you know, the the hype that you've put behind something for months and then, you know, it's almost done. Um, You know, I was really happy, but then I, you know, in that last section, I actually called and video chatted with Chris, my partner and um, my kids because they couldn't be at the finish line. So there was like a little bit of sadness in that, but then I was happy with my kid. My kids were just like, what are you doing, mummy? I was like, I've just gone for a really long run. They're like, how long? I was like, really, really long. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just like, good job, mummy. And yeah. And so, yeah, coming to the finish line was just amazing. Mm. So amazing just to get there. So who was at the end for you? Um, I had my dad who was, he was in tears. Um, which is so cute. Um, I had Rob, who's a part of a business that, um, you know, I work alongside Squirrel's Nut Butter. And he came down to cheer me on. Um, my three close friends, Sam, Kat and Dee, who were there, you know, all through my prep. And one who was the local that helped me with kind of the local knowledge. And yeah, so they were all like, at the finish kind of like clapping along and it was quite funny. I remember coming around the corner and they're all there with their cameras. (laughs) Funny. And I was actually thinking instead of the only thing I was thinking was, Oh no, I have to run now. They're recording this. (laughs) No walking. Yeah. So it was like, and I've seen like the footage from it is hilarious. It is just the slowest ultra shuffle you'll ever see in your life. I'm sure it's how most people finish 135 kilometers. 
mind like I was surprised I was actually able to shuffle so that that was good enough for me <laughs> oh gosh so you managed to get the record so yep. you wanted under 26 or 27 hours and what was the time you actually finished in uh I finished in 25 hours 49 minutes and 49 seconds wow yeah amazing yeah congratulations <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it feels like a lifetime ago already, actually. <laughs> By the time this podcast is aired, it probably will be a lifetime. Yeah, I know. Um, but, like, what happens with that now? Like, does, does that go in some sort of record book or what? Yeah. What's the process? So, with FKTs, um, Fastest Known Times, there's a website called FKT. Mm-hmm. Um, and that basically lists... Um, all the trails and tracks that you can do FKTs on and it uh, it lists who has the self-supported, the unsupported and the supported mm-hmm. and like full kudos to Bernadette because she has the supported FKT, which is just an unbelievably amazing time, which mm-hmm. I don't think will be touched for a long time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it goes up onto the website and it's just there until somebody else wants to nab it. And I say, go get it, people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you might have a few people now if they listen to this. Uh-huh. They'll be like, oh, Cape to Cape, what's that? Totally do it if you want to, man. Oh, well, they can contact you for some advice. <laughs> yeah, I'll happily give it. <laughs> yeah. So what lessons do you think you learned throughout this journey um, now that you're looking back on it? And not only the experience of just doing the Cape to Cape, but I guess the experience over the past 18 or so months or, you know, Mm -hmm. from even being a young girl in high school doing athletics. Yeah. um, What sort of lessons have you learned throughout the way, uh, uh, the way that would help you um, propel into the future with this journey as well? And um, yeah. yeah. What would you like to share with everybody? Mm, um, I mean, for the Cape kind of adventure, I think, the biggest thing that I learned is, you know, you got to find what you like in the running world. There's so many avenues to go down, like whether it's racing, um, road trail, ultras, short, long, all of that. You know, I completely feel like I've found what literally lights my soul on fire. Mm. Um, like this kind of thing, this adventure-based kind of running where it's it doesn't have to be about the FKT, but it's about the adventure of it all and you set the parameters of the challenge that you want to do. You know, you set the goal, you set how far it is, when you want to do it. That is what I love about it all because it's it somewhat feels so much more personal to me knowing that it's something that I've kind of dreamt up. And what I I feel like I want to say to other people is like a lot of people, con- like afterwards, the, the word that I kept hearing, which actually started to kind of like, I don't know, send shivers down my spine a little bit, was inspiration. And like I wholeheartedly am humbled by that word, mm. but I do not see myself as that whatsoever because I firmly believe that, anyone can do this now it doesn't have to be 135k but anybody can dream up an adventure that they want to do and go for it like and that can be in the parameters of 
what you feel like you want to achieve. Uh, it doesn't have to be a race. Like my next adventure is not an FKT. It's not a race. It's not anything, but it's just something that I've dreamt up, which I think will be really fun. And that's the main thing about like running, you know, do something that's going to set your soul on fire. Like, yeah, yeah. I am. Um, I think running itself is just you you're a part of such a wonderful community of people like it's just amazing and it's probably the best thing that I have stumbled into um and being a part of it like I I just feel honestly like so blessed to have found like a group of crazy happy trail people that are just like me that just get it and we just get each other and yeah that's awesome yeah so what is the next adventure are you allowed to elaborate <laughs> on that yet uh well yeah because probably by the time this podcast just come out i would have done that. <laughs> um yeah so i was thinking about things to do and um my partner and I were thinking about going down to the Stirling Ranges for my birthday which is in August mm-hmm. and having a play down there in the Stirling Ranges uh he can't come obviously because of COVID so I was like well how am I gonna make the best of this situation so I kind of dreamt up something which was kind of what I'm calling sunrise to sunset. So I basically, there are six peaks in six main peaks in the Sterling Ranges. And I want to do all six peaks in the one day, mm-hmm. having starting on one at sunrise and finishing at the last one at sunset, which I just think will be really cool because I'm so not a hills mountain type of girl, but <laughs> I'm going to learn to love it. You're going to be by then. Sure, <laughs> Yeah. So, so that's how far point. is that in distance? Um, so it'll be, it's not that far. Well, yeah, well, it's not that far compared to 130, but it's, uh, I think, 25 kilometres and 2,500 elevation mm. over the 25 Ks. Yeah, quite a lot yeah. of elevation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely going to learn to love the hills. <laughs> yeah, I know, my poor legs. <laughs> And are you doing that by yourself or are you going to take a friend with you this time? Yeah. So my friend Kat, she will be with me because no. she just, she's, she's always up for the crazy stuff that I do. I literally just message her and go, Hey, you know, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? And, you know, props and kudos to her. Cause she's always like, hell yeah, let's do it. And oh, that's wow. like so awesome to find people like that. So you found that friend through running or was she? Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, we found each other through another mutual friend who had a running group and then, yeah, we just, um, she started coming down to the Cape kind of group recce runs and she's just, she's my main training partner. Pretty much every single training run I do, she's with me or I'm with her usually. That's good. So I'll finish off soon um, with a, a few fun things, but I wanted to ask you about what you think you would like your girls to think about you when they look at your journey. And I know they're little at the moment, um, yep. but if there was something you wanted your girls to learn about from your journey and what you're putting out there into the world, what would that be? 
so hard to think of because it's so tiny at the moment. But, you know, all they think right now is that mummy runs a lot. <laughs> but in the future, for them in terms of their, you know, what, what would you want them to look at you and see mm. as a woman or as a girl? Yeah. I definitely want them or I try to, I don't know, have them imitate it as best as possible by showing they can do it is that, you know, you can do whatever you want to do in terms if you have a dream, just, just go and chase it, give it a go. Mm. Don't let the fear of doing something or the fear of failing something stop you from doing that because everybody fears it. Like everybody does. And that's usually enough to stop people from even trying and for them to just sit in the comfort of where they are. So yeah, I guess, you know, I would love for them to see me and go, oh, you know, mummy's mummy's doing these cool things and these cool runs and, you know, even though it might be scary or it's hard work, you know, she, she still does it. Yeah. 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 I love that. So I want to get a little bit of insight onto how you get these amazing run fees. (laughs) (laughs) So that's my next question. You take us through the perfect setup for the perfect run fee because us mums, we're good at photo taking, but I mastered the run fee. So Um, my advice. Okay. Um, have patient friends that you run with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like take 10. <laughs> no, um, I would say, okay, my, my run to advice would be learn to use burst mode on your phone, mm. it, your biggest friend, because then you can take 100 photos and just pick the best one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you um, use video or do you only use burst? Uh, I have used video in the past, but the quality of the image is not as good as if you use the burst mode. Mm. I use video where I'm running by myself normally and there's no one to use burst mode. Um, Thankfully, Kat, my training partner, has become an amazing run fee photographer and basically (laughs) takes all my shots that I use for Hoka and and all of that on my page as well. Um, But yeah, I think when you do a run fee, don't overthink the run. <laughs> like I think people go, okay, I have to look like a runner now when I'm doing this run fee. And it's like, no, no, no. Just run as you normally would through the shop. <laughs> yeah. Unless you have like these like, you know, straight palms or like you just yeah. really awkward. Relax. And, so just relax. Like literally just jog through the shot. Yeah. <laughs> I usually just do it once and, and that's enough. Um, and the last thing, and this is just from my photography background, is um, lighting. Is You can't edit in lighting. If you're in a dark spot or in shadows, you can't edit in, you know, the sun. So just pick somewhere with nice lighting. And that's, that's usually enough. Mm. Yeah, well, they're great images. So... Uh, where can we find you so people can see these amazing run feeds (laughs) (laughs) and obviously follow along your journey and read about the Cape to Cape? Yeah. Um, I, so I'm basically only on Instagram and so that's at shell.runs. Yep. So original. (laughs) (laughs) You get the point though. (laughs) It says it like it is. (laughs) 
can't yes, get you can find me there. I mean, I, you know, the paid, if you hate run fees, don't go there. It's not the <laughs> it even says that if you hate run fees, this is not the page for you. <laughs> um, it's just basically like the images on there are a, a diary of where I've run, basically. I can look at an image or a run fee and know exactly like what I was doing there, what trail run I was doing. And then kind of the stories on Instagram are just more of an insight into, I guess, what I do on my trail runs and a little bit more on my mum life. Yeah. Just me. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And that's why I love Instagram in a way, more so than even Facebook, because for me, I use it the same, like it's like a journal. Yeah. And I can exactly. write my thoughts, you know, I often like write lots of words <laughs> and yeah. um, I really like words and I'll be able to look back at that and go, yeah. oh, I remember that experience and I wrote about that. And yeah, yeah, it's like a diary to me. That's what I love about it. All right. Mm-hmm. So we, we're going to finish off, but before we do, I always finish the podcast with the RMA hot lap. Mm-hmm. So that's five questions that I'm going to fire um, out at you about some of the things that you do when you're running. So the first one is what is your favorite race fuel or favorite adventure fuel? We won't say race because now we're doing the adventures. Yeah. What is your favorite fuel? Currently it would be the eat noshed chews in the bilberry and eucalyptus flavor. I know that that is so specific, but that completely saved me on my Cape run. So I would have to say that. And they're just so like literally so delicious. I've never even heard of them. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, <laughs> totally recommend them, honestly. All right, you'll have to send me a DM on um, yeah. what they are. And yeah, I'll I will. Show notes. <laughs> um, what is the favourite thing you like to wear when running? Um, two things. My visor, because my visor is my thing. As yeah. soon as the visor goes on, it's like my body knows I'm about to go for a run. The other thing is anytime I run at night time, I run with glow sticks every single time. Like actual like party glow sticks? Yep. So I run with glow sticks around my neck or around my arms just because it's fun. And I love you're at running at night. Like <laughs> it's an excuse to wear glow sticks. That's a great idea. I'm doing an orienteering race on Saturday night in the dark. We're oh, called, um, our team's called Lost in the Dark. <laughs> Because we probably will be, and um, none of us can read a map with a compass. But anyway, um, and I might take the glow sticks just for fun. You can go to Kmart and buy like I think it's like a pack of two hundred and fifty for fifteen bucks, and you'll be set for like the next two seasons. You'll be fine. I'm I'm doing it. (laughs) Um, What is one thing? No, we just said that one. What is? No, we didn't. What is one thing you can't go without in a long run? lube yeah. <laughs> lube everywhere <laughs> what is the lube that you use squirrels nut butter <laughs> i wholeheartedly plug them because they are just the most and rob is just the most supportive passionate person when it comes to adventuring racing all of that so supportive but yeah lube 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 everywhere i'm i unashamedly yeah plug that every single time I go for my run all over my feet my crotch butt crack no one likes butt crack <laughs> no I have a really bad experience the other day where I did not wear any yeah and I literally have like on my side like 
it's like a second degree burn. It's taken like yeah. two weeks. It's terrible. It's not worth it. Just it's not worth it. Just lube. <laughs> That's lube up. Um, <laughs> what's one word to sum up your experience so far? Um, bliss. Bliss, bliss, bliss. I always use the term um, when I'm running of being blissed out when I'm on the trails. It's probably the best way to put it. Just unbelievably that that runner's high kind of blissed out mm. that's what I love about it and that's probably what will keep me coming back until I'm you know a grandma yeah. running Mums Australia so. <laughs> yes that's right well I've we, we we say we'll be running into our old age so oh for sure yeah. for sure I don't think you can give it up now no <laughs> well thanks for joining us Michelle that's okay thank you for having me You're welcome. Speak (laughs) soon. On the next episode of the RMA podcast, I talk to RMA ambassador Emma Luscombe. Emma has been one of our ambassadors for quite a few years now. And Emma is an amazing lady with a really inspiring story. I talk to Emma about her journey into running and we talk about her experience of having a stillborn baby girl, Edie. We talk about how this experience has shaped her as a mother and as a woman and also as a running mum. And we talk about the adventures that she's had, the journey into ultra running and what the lessons she has learned along the way have taught her about herself. You're really going to love this episode and Emma is such a beautiful person, very well spoken and she has an amazing story to tell. So I look forward to bringing that to you next time please make sure that you subscribe to the episodes, you rate and review this podcast so that other women can in turn hear these stories and be inspired as well. Thank you for joining us this week.